Welcome to worship on this third Sunday of Advent at First United Methodist Church in Martinsville, Virginia. Today we are going to be talking about the innkeeper who has something to teach us about making room in our hearts and our lives for the Christ child. Our call to worship is responsive, and our choir will be leading us in the sung responses. Let us pray. God of life, we thank you for the gift of your child who came to show us your way. the guardian of the poor. Many children will be born today in places no better than that stable in Bethlehem. We pray for them. warm place to gather and friends and family to care for us. We pray for all who are sick, lonely, in trouble, or afraid, that they may be healed and comforted. Jesus, you show us your hope for the world. We pray for ourselves and for each other that we may be filled with hope and new life now and always.
Let us join our voices in our opening prayer. Lord, you came among us quietly, born in an out-of-the-way stable, in a busy time, in a bustling town, turning to no one, turning to everyone, an unspoken question, will you let me in? And so when every night is winter, and every town is Bethlehem, and every inn seems filled, and in every heart these words are heard, will you let me in? May we have eyes to see the star, may we have ears to hear the choir, and may we have hearts that finally speak, yes, yes, by all means come in, come in and stay. Amen. our joy. Sometimes life is just hard and chaos abounds. Help us to welcome you into our current chaos with peace and joy. The peace and joy that only the Christ child can give, which the world cannot give. Help us to look above our current circumstances in the world and instead look to you, our joy and our peace. For you, O oh God, will never disappoint. May the joyful promise of your presence, O oh God, in these times of hardship and chaos, make us rejoice in our hope of salvation. O oh come, O oh come, Emmanuel. I'd like to ask for the attention of the children now for the children's time. So how do you get ready for a baby? Usually when a new baby is expected in a household, you set up the nursery, you set up the crib, you buy baby clothes and baby bottles and formula and diapers, and then you wait for the baby to be born. 
But you do a lot of things to get ready. It takes a while. Well, <clears throat> during the season of Advent, that's what we're doing too. We're getting ready. We are preparing for the birth of the Christ child. But how do we get ready for that baby exactly? We're not going to set up a nursery in our house, right? Or buy diapers for the baby Jesus or formula or bottles. No, welcoming the baby Jesus is a little bit different. And to answer the question of how we get ready for him, well, today we have the story of the innkeeper who offers us a really big clue. So the innkeeper in the story is asleep. It's late at night and a knock comes, on the, comes to the door. And when he opens the door, there stand a young girl and her husband. And the girl is very, very, very pregnant, very ready and close to giving birth. So the innkeeper, knowing that he doesn't have any spare rooms in his inn, at least offers them a stable where the animals of all the travelers rested overnight. At least the stable was dry and it was warm. So he led Mary and Joseph down to the stable and that night the baby Jesus was born. Now, it was a really busy time in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph had traveled 98 miles to get there. They were tired and when they showed up at the inn and met the innkeeper, they hadn't met him before. He was a stranger to them and they were strangers to him. And yet he showed them kindness. He offered them room. So I think as we prepare for the birth of the Christ child, that really what we are called to do is what the innkeeper did. We find room in our hearts when we share kindness and God's love with others, when we help other people the way that the innkeeper helped Mary and Joseph. So for the rest of this season of Advent, I want you to look for opportunities to help people and see if that doesn't help make your heart feel just a little bit bigger, like it has just a little bit more room so that when the Christ child comes, he will find a place in your heart. Thanks. I'll see you next week. As we prepare to receive the words of Scripture, let us pray. Almighty God, who has poured upon us the new light of your incarnate word, grant that the same light enkindled in our hearts may shine forth in our lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our New Testament lesson is found in the seventh chapter of 2 Corinthians, beginning with the second verse. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted in every way, disputes without and fears within. But God, who consoles the downcast, consoled us. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Our gospel lesson this morning is found in the second chapter of Luke's gospel, beginning with the first verse. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. I just received my December issue of Real Simple Magazine. One of the articles asked readers to respond to a question. What is your favorite book to give as a gift? And one response was Humans of New York, a book by Brandon Stanton, which features stunning photographs and the stories behind them. The person suggested buying the book as a gift saying that the book will forever change how you look at strangers. I think the story of Joseph and Mary arriving in Bethlehem just before Jesus' birth may do the same thing. The innkeeper isn't actually in the gospel narrative. It just said that Jesus was born in a stable because there was no room in the inn. Well, given how many people flooded Bethlehem for the census, that was probably the case at all the inns in town. It wasn't like you could call ahead for reservations or book online. Mary and Joseph may simply have found a stable, but we like to think that a kind innkeeper offered them the option, not preferable, but certainly dry and warm. The figure of the innkeeper, not mentioned in the Gospels, but part of our traditional telling of Jesus' birth, certainly makes us think about strangers and how often we are guided and helped by those whom we do not know. And the figure of the innkeeper also calls us to think during the season of Advent about whether we can make room for the Christ child and how we are making space for Jesus in our lives. It may have something to do with how we welcome strangers as well. My friend Alex Joyner, who is the district superintendent of the Eastern Shore District, wrote an imaginative account of the innkeeper. I would like to share that story with you, and I do so with Alex's permission. I don't know if you know the story of the innkeeper. His name was Benjamin. This story picks up after a long day for Benjamin. It had been a good day for business, but it had been tiring. An innkeeper's life was simple, but it was a a seven-day-a-week occupation, and sometimes that wore him down. His wife, Deborah, did all the cooking at the inn, And she was tired, too. She had already gone to bed. Benjamin hadn't always been an innkeeper. For a while, he sold textiles, rugs, and such. Then he went into the fresh produce business. And one day, he woke up and he realized what a fine living could be made off of the tourist industry in town. And Bethlehem wasn't a huge place, but it had a claim to fame. It was the city of David. And David had been the greatest king ever to rule over Israel. Consequently, tourists were always coming to town to see sites associated with David. A small cottage industry had developed which marketed David's life story. Rock and slingshot paperweights and figurines of David and Goliath were for sale. So were beautifully framed scrolls of David's psalms. 
Benjamin had thought about becoming a merchant of such souvenirs, but had decided against it. His employment history had always involved sales, and he was sick of retail. Too much inventory, too much math. So he decided to become an innkeeper, offering decent rooms at a decent price to all of these tourists. It had been a long day because Emperor Augustus had decided it was time to take a census. Everyone in the land had to go to their family's hometown. Even if they'd long ago moved away, they had to come back because Caesar Augustus wanted a count of all the people whom he ruled over. And what Caesar Augustus wanted, Caesar Augustus got. He wanted the census so that he could revise the tax system. There's always a bottom line. So Bethlehem was busy, and that meant Benjamin was busy. So many travelers. Before dusk, all his rooms were taken. He'd taken down the vacancy sign and put up the all rooms occupied sign. Now at bedtime, everyone had had a good meal, and all his guests seemed to have settled in for the night. Benjamin looked over the day's receipts. He had done well, but he was tired. To top off his long day, he had had an argument with his twin daughters, Rachel and Ruth. Even when he won, he lost. They were 13 and had stayed out long past curfew. <coughs> Excuse me. All these strangers in town, and they had stayed out past curfew as if nothing could happen to them. Teenagers today, he thought. If I had talked to my parents the way my girls talked to me, he had grounded them for a week, and it was going to be a long week for all of them. Still, he knew he had it pretty good. He loved his wife and daughters, and they were all healthy. They lacked for nothing they really needed. Not like their neighbor, Jacob. Jacob had been a roofer before his fall. Now, unable to work, his family had to struggle to eat. With that in mind, and knowing that tomorrow was going to be another long and busy day, Benjamin climbed the stairs and crawled into bed beside Deborah. He was asleep before his head hit the pillow. A rap at the door woke Benjamin in the middle of the night. I am ignoring this, Ben thought to himself. The all rooms occupied sign was up, and there's no reason, he thought, for me to go downstairs. The knock came again, louder, more insistent this time. Aren't you going to go get that, Benjamin, Deborah said, elbowing her husband. No, he said, I am not going to go get that. The taverns have just closed, and it is probably just some folks without a designated chariot driver. If we ignore them, they'll just move on. <clears throat> the knock came again, more of a pounding now. Benjamin was angry, worried that all of his guests were going to be awakened. He pulled on his bathrobe, trotted down the stairs, and opened the door, ready to give these people a piece of his mind. He was horrified at what he saw. A young girl, not much older than his own twin daughters, and very pregnant, stood at the door with a bearded, exhausted-looking man. In his hands, he held the reins of a donkey. They looked like they'd traveled a long way. The girl was crying, tired, and in pain. Do you have a room? Anything, the man asked. No, Benjamin replied. Have you tried the bed and breakfast at the end of Palm Street? We have stopped at every place we've seen, the man said. Nothing. Thinking of his own twin daughters, he felt compassion for the young girl in distress. But what could he do? All of his rooms were full. There was no place to lie down in the, the lobby, and if he gave his room to these two, well, his wife was going to be pretty angry. I'm sorry, Ben said. All our rooms are full. If you were an animal, I could put you up in our stable. Plenty of room out there, but all of our guest suites are occupied. Please, the man said, could we rest in the stable? We're willing to stay anywhere that is dry and warm. Mary, my love, especially just needs to get off of her feet. Deborah padded down the stairs. 
Benjamin asked her to grab some blankets. He took the blankets and two lanterns and led the travelers to the stable. He put fresh water into a stall for their donkey as the man spread blankets on the hay so that his wife could lie down. Leaving a lantern for them, Benjamin walked back to the inn, and within minutes, both he and Deborah had fallen back to sleep. The next morning, they awoke to the sound of sheep. Benjamin disliked sheep, which is why he didn't own any. Looking out the window, he saw what looked like not one, not two, not three, but maybe four flocks of sheep down by the stable. He and Deborah got dressed and went down to try to find out what on earth was going on. Approaching the stable, they heard a baby's cry. They realized the young, birth, the young mother must have given birth in the middle of the night. Inside the stable, the young girl looked tired, but also happy and relieved. The baby was asleep in a feed trough, which was lined with hay. The father was looking at the baby with adoration, as if he'd never seen the miracle of a baby before. And four shepherds were looking over his shoulder. The shepherds began to talk about what had happened that night. They had been sitting around the fire, telling stories, when suddenly a host of angels appeared in the sky and told them that the Son of God had been born in town. Needing to see this for themselves, they had come to Bethlehem and found this couple, Mary and Joseph, and in their arms, an hours-old infant named Jesus. Benjamin and his wife exchanged glances. The tale was unbelievable, and shepherds are prone to embellish the truth. Still, as they told the story, Mary and Joseph didn't seem at all surprised that the shepherds referred to their baby as the Son of God. It was as if they already knew. Deborah excused herself. She needed to get up to the kitchen to start preparing breakfast for the guests at the inn. She promised to have someone bring breakfast down to the stable. Benjamin encouraged the shepherds to leave, too. Not only did he want their sheep off of his lawn, he thought the couple needed their rest. They had traveled long into the night and then gone through the delivery of their firstborn son. It was another busy day for the innkeeper. In the midst of all the activity, though, he couldn't get the shepherd's story out of his mind. He checked on the little family in the stable several times that day, and all seemed to be well. That night, Benjamin had a dream. He saw a figure standing in front of a great light. He heard a familiar voice say, Benjamin, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. He strained to see the silhouetted figure. As his eyes adjusted to the light, he began to see why the figure was so familiar. It was, was his daughter. It was Ruth. In the delirium of his dream, he called out, Ruth, what are you doing here? It's way past curfew. But when he spoke, he realized that it was not Ruth at all. It was God. No, Benjamin, I only took this form so that you could bear to see me at all. You're having a vision. You need to understand what it means to love God. Do you know what love is? Benjamin gulped and then blinked his eyes. When he did, he saw that Ruth had disappeared, and there was his mother, who had died ten years ago. Only he was certain that it was still God. So he tried to come up with an answer. Love? Well, yes, I, I know what love is. It's, it's, well, it's what I'm feeling right now. My mother was warm and caring, and if she didn't love me, I don't know who did. And I loved her. So, God said... Love is what you get in return for receiving it? Well, I guess, in a way. If you love those who love you, God said, what credit is that to you? Anyone can do that. But what about loving your enemies, doing good and lending without expecting anything in return? Benjamin hung his head. Yes, those are, are loving actions, but... Wasn't my love for my mother real? When Benjamin looked up, his mother was gone, and there was his wife, Deborah, as young and beautiful as the day they met. But God's voice continued. 
Yes, it was as real as anything in life, but when you are called to love me, God said, what is that love like? Seeing his wife in his dream, Benjamin tried another angle. Well, God, maybe it's like the love that I felt for Deborah when we first met, an overwhelming love that led me to do anything I could for her. I still would. It was as if we couldn't stand the separation. Isn't that the kind of love that we're supposed to have for you? God spoke again, but Benjamin, sometimes lovers forget themselves so totally that they end up lost. They easily become instruments to fulfill the needs of their partner. And then the mystery is gone, and one partner gets possessed by the other, and the love is over, and all that remains is dependency. It's only those loves that preserve the distinctive differences in the partners that grow and survive. Benjamin spoke up. You're right, of course, God. He looked up again and saw that now Rachel, his other twin daughter, was standing before him. That's it, he said. Love for you ought to be the same as the love of a parent for a child. Self-sacrificing, caring, never expecting anything in return. Isn't that true love, God? Yes, but too often parents treat their children as possessions, too. They smother them with expectations of what they ought to be instead of respecting their uniqueness. You can do that to me as well. You can make me into a household god, easily manipulated by your will. As Benjamin watched, the figure in the light changed once more into the form of the baby he had seen in the stable, Mary and Joseph's baby, Jesus. Follow me, the baby said. Love me with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and your neighbor as yourself. Benjamin thought about this and wondered what it might mean. I mean, how hard can it be to love a baby, especially this baby, whom the shepherds called the Son of God. Suddenly the figure in the light changed. It was no longer the figure of a beloved family member or a precious little baby. This time the figure was an elderly toothless man sitting in a chair and trembling violently. His face was distorted with pain. His eyes were filled with tears. His hands were gnarled his hair thin and limp. He was difficult to look at. God, Benjamin said, is that still you? The man in the chair nodded his head. Is this supposed to tell me something about what it means to love you? There was no response. Benjamin awoke with a start. Deborah rolled over when he jerked awake. What's the matter, Benjamin? Oh, just a crazy dream. Go on back to sleep. The next day, Benjamin went down the street to visit his neighbor, Jacob, the one who had fallen, the one who couldn't work. He'd never really gotten to know Jacob, but now he knew he had to. He realized something that he had never realized before, that to love God is to love your neighbor. They're not two different things to do, but one thing. And it works the other way around, too. To love our neighbor is to love God. We love not because we are first loved by our neighbor, or because we know them, or because we like them, or because there is necessarily some passionate feeling for them, but simply because they are God's own, as we are. Though God is as close to us and nearer to us than we are to ourselves, it is the neighbor whom we see each day. When we are in full blossom, feeling the blessings that we have been given, and knowing the strength that gives us the illusion of being independent, it's hard to see this dependent, vulnerable baby. It is when the leaves fall and we are left with the stark realization of who we are, needy people, people who need God, that we can see things that we haven't seen before. God calls us not to escape the world in which we live, but to really see it for the first time. 
and when our eyes are opened to our neighbor, perhaps we can glimpse the miracle of the incarnation that God has come to us here. And that miracle is love. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Let us join in affirming our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come again to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now with the boldness of children of God, let us pray as our Lord has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
forth as a people of joy. Let joy live in your heart and share the joy of Christ with all whom you meet. Share joy by seeing the good in each other. Share joy by remembering good times and hoping for good times to come. Share joy by praying for our world. In this Advent season, we need to see, feel, and share joy. As you go out into the wonder of God's creation, share joy, peace, and hope with all those whom you meet. Amen.